uh, go to the book of John, uh, chapter 8. What we're doing here at the, in our Sunday school lessons lately is we are uh, looking at some things that in the world are in question and debatable. And uh, last week we looked at the question about if, is God's word uh, authentic? Is it really real? And uh, that's disputed and and we talked about all of the evidences that we could look at, how that it's indestructible, many different things we noted. Uh, but in the end, we, we basically said that the Word of God doesn't really need to be defended. It just needs to be turned loose uh, no more than we need to defend a Bengal tiger. We just need to turn him loose, and it will convince people and the Word of God is quick, alive, powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. Another thing that we're going to note today that's in dispute is whether Jesus Christ was really God. And in John chapter 8 and verse 24, Jesus speaking and he said, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Then they said unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus said unto them, Even the same that saith unto you from the beginning, I have many things to say and to judge to you. But he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. And so Jesus here says, I am, and then you'll note that they'll put the he in italics. And so what is that all about? Well, we find uh, in the, you just have to catch up with me in the notes, but in the book of Exodus, when Moses was looking at the burning bush, he uh, came face to face with this term, I am. In Exodus 3.14, God said unto Moses his name, I am that I am. And he said, thou shalt, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And so, Jesus Christ, when he said I am, he's claiming to be a Jehovah, He's claiming to be God of Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. And why is, that, uh, why is that important? Well, the Bible says, Then if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And so it's an issue. Uh, the deity of Christ is an issue that, really is going to affect uh, eternity and, and it's going to affect your salvation 
who is Jesus Christ and why he why it has to be God uh, that came. If you open up here, you'll kind of see the choices that reasoning can lead to concerning who Jesus is. Uh, Jesus claims to be God, and there's really two alternatives that we can take. If his claim was false, that he's not really God, there's those who want to say he was a good moral man, but they don't want it to go as far as say he's God. If his claims were false, then there's two possibilities. One, he knew his claims were false. He made deliberate misrepresentation. He was a liar. He was a hypocrite. He was a demon to go around claiming to be God. And he was a fool, for if he knew his claims were false, and he died because of those claims, that was foolish. Or it could have been he did not know his claims were false. He was sincerely mistaken, deluded. And if that's the case, then he was a lunatic. He uh, thought he was something that he wasn't. And so if he's not what he said he was, he's either a fool or he's a crazy man. But if he is who he said he was, if was, his claims were true, he is Lord. And there's only two alternatives to that. It either you accept that or reject that. And so when people want to say, well, I think Christ was a good moral man. I think he had some good principles. And uh, they want to take that route that is not being genuine and honest. Because either he was who he said he was, deity, or he wasn't. And if he is deity, then we need to accept that or re reject that. So what I'm going to do in these lessons, instead of just being uh, so tied, I mean, to uh, begin with the uh, scripture, we'll, we'll have lots of scripture. I'm going to I'm going to approach it from a, from a secular way, and said and ask the question: If Jesus was really God, then then what would we expect of a person that was God? What would we expect to see in him? And uh, I use kind of a weird illustration here, and I don't. I think it's lacking. Uh, uh, here in Alaska in the summer months, I used to keep bees. If I knew that the, my hives of bees were in danger of dying because of pesticides spread along the pipeline corridor, how could I possibly tell them, don't go and work the flowers along the pipeline? And in fact, uh, just as a side note, that's the first place the bees go if you raise bees because the pipeline actually heats the ground and the uh, dandelions come out first there, and the bees go there. But how could I tell them to keep away from there? Uh, I could go out and knock on the hive and say I want to speak to the queen. 
but not much would happen except I'd probably get stung. I could catch a worker and say, now listen, you need to go in there and do your little dance of communication and tell your buddies to stay away from the pipeline. But my brief friends do not understand English. And the only way I could really save the bees would be to become a bee. And so, in a crude way, mankind relates to that in that he stands in jeopardy. God's wrath hangs over his head. Uh, the Bible tells us, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. But the illustration falls short because Jesus didn't just come to warn us of the danger that we're in. But he came because he wanted to deliver us from the danger that we were in. And he was the only one that could. And so if we, if we uh, believe that Jesus was God, what would be some things that we would expect of a personality that was God. The number first thing we look at here is if God became a man, then we would expect him to have an unusual entrance into this life. You see, if, if, if mankind is, is condemned because of his sin, and only and a payment needs to be made for that sin, then only a perfect human being could die for a sinful human being. It would do no good for me to die for you because I'm also condemned. It'd be like people on death row saying, well, I'll, I'll, take, the, I'll take the capital punishment for my buddy here. But no, we're all underneath the capital punishment of the wages of sin is death. No man can pay that. So only... Only a sinless man could pay that, uh, but the only one that's sinless is God. And so, God had to become a man. If you go over to uh, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, we have uh, the account of Jesus Christ being born into this world. In Luke chapter 1, and let's begin in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto Mary, Fear not, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said, uh, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? 
And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now, uh, we find there an account of the virgin birth of Christ and uh, a very unique uh, situation. Now, uh, I want to just take a, I won't be able to read all this for you, but I want to kind of introduce you what this little pamphlet is. And I want to uh, uh, run a little uh, trail here, not necessarily a rabbit trail, but a, but a trail. Because uh, uh, it wasn't until like two years ago that I really had cemented into my heart what took place in Luke chapter 1, 26 35, what it's talking about here. What actually happened and what role did Mary play in, and uh, let me say this, <laughs> maybe I should say that I really understood what happened. Well, I don't really understand what happened. It was a miracle. But I think I understand a little better what happened. And uh, I used to wrestle with, well, what part did Mary play? What part did the Holy Spirit play? And then it come along uh, in early in my ministry, a book written by um, uh, Richard DeHaan, who uh, had radio Bible class, but he wrote this book called uh, The Chemistry of the Blood. And he went at great lengths to say that, that Mary's blood uh, never mixed with Jesus's blood and that and that babies would inherit their sin nature from their father and not from their mother. And so Jesus never really inherited the sin nature from Mary because the sin nature comes from his father. But that left, that left this idea, there's, there's two, there's, there's two ways of explaining this. Well, let me read here and then down this first section. Uh, if you open up the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that is God coming to earth as a man, incarnation. It's such an important doctrine of the New Testament that without it, there can be no true Christianity. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh is not of God. And so when you break these verses down and study them, if you are a Mormon, if you are uh, uh, of, a, of a, a group that claims that Jesus was not God, but he was a good person, a Jehovah Witness, you cannot be saved. The Bible teaches that part of 
accepting Christ as Lord is to embrace the idea that it took God to die for man. But how can the one who was God, in the beginning was the word, word was with God, word was God, from the beginning be the same one who was made flesh and dwelt among us? How can he truly be Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us? How can the infinite eternal God become finite and temporal? Such a concept seems impossibly paradoxical, yet millions quite properly believe it to be a real and vital truth. Perhaps the most amazing aspect of the incarnation is that a God who is absolute uh, is that a God who is absolute holiness could reside in a body of human flesh. Is it not true that they that are in the flesh cannot please God? Or our human bodies have been formed through many generations of genetic inheritance from Adam himself, and in Adam all die. The paradox is partially resolved, of course, when it is realized that Jesus Christ came in a body which was not of sinful flesh. His body was truly in the flesh, but only in the likeness of sinful flesh. But even this doesn't resolve the dilemma completely on how could his body be of flesh, carbon, hydrogen, amino acids, proteins, etc., received by the normal processes of production of the flesh of his parents without also receiving this genetic inheritance, which is exactly what makes it sinful flesh. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Man that is born of a woman, a few days and full of trouble, who can bring, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Uh, no, not one. And so, uh, this is written by Dr. Wayne Morris of Creation Research Institute. But there's really uh, two ways uh, known in nature that, that, uh, that a baby could, uh, uh, offspring can be, uh, come about without the sperm from a man. And if you look on, uh, let's see, it'd be one, I don't know if you count the first page, one, two, three, four, the fourth page over. There's something called, I'm going to write it out because I can't, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. Parthenogenesis. And what that is, in, in insects, and it says here in some mammals, the egg from the woman, the egg can actually begin to grow and divide. And just the egg from a woman, from the, the seed of uh, just uh, the insect, can become a, 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 a call it, I guess, life. Like, uh, it's possible for a worker, uh, for a worker bee, all worker bees are females. It's possible for a worker bee to lay eggs. 
and those eggs to grow without having been uh, receiving the sperm from the drone, the drone being the male. It's possible for, the, for, a, for a female worker bee to lay eggs, and a, and a bee will come about, but it's sterile. And so it's, that's called parthenogenesis. And then the other, only other way for uh, a life to come about without receiving directly from the male is, of course, uh, artificial insemination. And of course, you see the word semen here. And that's uh, used a lot today in trying to uh, develop uh, animal herds, uh, beef, and, and, uh, and develop breeds. And uh, they'll get the sperm from a male, and then they'll artificially inseminate, if, if it's a cow from the bull, they'll artificially inseminate the uh, cow. Okay, so... Did, is this what Mary did? Did she just give the egg and then the egg somehow supernaturally grew? And, and is this what happened? Did, did when the, the Holy Ghost had come upon you, did the Holy Ghost give sperm to Mary? And then that sperm from the Holy Ghost goes into the egg of Mary and life comes about and it's okay because because we don't inherit the sin nature from the woman? Did Mary have any defects in her? Well, she did. And so what took place here? I really believe the answer to it, uh, we're just talking, I'm, I'm giving you all this because I'm telling you that it was a miraculous event that brought God into this world. And actually, it was a special creation. If you go to the, very, the next to the last page of the printed material, very interesting word here that's found in Hebrews. We'll begin at the, the first, uh, the second paragraph on this page. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. The verb prepared in this verse is striking. It's the same word in the Greek as used in the next succeeding chapter in Hebrews. In one of the greatest of all those verses of the Bible describing creation, so when he uses the word prepared in Hebrews 10.5, it's the same word as the word framed in Hebrews 11.3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed, framed and prepared, same word, were framed by the word of God, so the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. What do we call that? We call that ex nihilo creation. That, that something is made out of nothing. And so when it talks about 
that, that he was a prepared body, that something was made that had never been made before, out of not pre-existing material. And the body that went inside of Mary was holy. It received nothing from man. It received nourishment from Mary. But even the nourishment, when it comes up through the placenta, the blood of the mother never mingles with the blood of the child. But, but in a miraculous way, she nourishes the child with her own blood. The blood within Jesus Christ was unique in that it was a unique creation. And so, uh, and I'll let you read uh, this, but so what I'm simply saying is that when we're looking at is Jesus really God, that we would expect um, miraculous entrance into this world. And it was a miraculous entrance. And because of that, because of that, Jesus could say, I was tempted in all points like as man was. That Jesus, uh, in a very miraculous way, grew inside his mother. And, uh, and Mary was used of the Lord to, uh, to bring forth God into this world. And so, if, if Jesus was God, we'd, we'd expect his entrance into this world to be miraculous. So it's not so much the virgin, and it's not so much the birth, but what's the miracle is the created being that was God himself that became a man, and so uh, the entrance, the entrance, is miraculous. If if God became a man, we'd expect Him to be without sin. The God of the Bible. We're not talking about little g gods of of the. Ind- uh, Indian culture and in, in, uh, Far East are talking about the little g-gods in this world. We're talking about the God of the Bible. And if the God of the Bible became man, we'd expect him to be without sin. The witness of his friends for over three years, three and a half years, who were Jews, who knew the Bible. The witness of his friends, one of them being Peter at the bottom of page 3. This was, this was Peter's witness, of a man who had been with him on a daily basis, said, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 
And so Peter's, uh, Peter's testimony, those, those, of his, those of his acquaintances, Peter's acquaintances, Peter said he's without spot. John also, in John 1 and First uh, John 1, 8 through 10, and if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. And so John says, you know, we're all sinners. And then when he gets to 1 John 3, 5, and we know that he was manifested to take away our sins, for in him is no sin. And so John, uh, Peter said he's without spot. John says there's no sin. These were men who traveled with him. They saw him on a bad hair day. And they say he was he's without sin. Apostle Paul, he uh, also says that he was made sin to be sin for us who knew no sin. But what about his enemies? What did his enemies say? What did his enemies, what did the enemies say of him? Or at least those who weren't his followers. In the middle there was a picture of Pilate and Jesus is supposed to be portrayed. Pilate could find no fault in him. And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. He was trying to, he was trying to get off the hook and... Uh, and, and he was trying to appease the Jews, and so he's going to beat him for no reason at all. But listen, just rest assured, as Pilate's being pressed by these Jewish people, and you see, when insurrection, if, if there was trouble in, in Palestine, and it got back to Caesar, Pilate's going to lose his job, if not his head. And rest assured that Pilate was looking for something to pin on him. Listen, <laughs> if, we, uh, if we had the money to hire these slick guys, there's not anybody in here that couldn't have something pinned on them. But Pilate couldn't pin anything on the Lord. That's because he's God. He said, what has he done? Pilate found no fault in him. The thief on the cross hanging next to him said in Luke 23, and one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. The other answered and rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, 
and we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. Just think of that. Think of that testimony. Hang in there. If a, if a guy is going to be honest and open at any point in his life, it's right there before he's going to be crucified. And he says, he's not done anything amiss. Who could that be said of today? Anybody in politics? Anybody living in your house? He was, his testimony was a testimony that could only apply to God. Jesus was God. The centurion watched him. And the centurion said, now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. And so we have Pilate, we have Defeat, we have the centurion at the, the officer at the cross giving testimony to the character. It's obvious that the Jews searched hard for something against him. And Mark says, and the chief priests and all the council sought for a witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. They couldn't find any that could accuse him. For many bear false witness against him, but their witnesses agreed not together. Remember, the law required that two witnesses be in agreement. In the end, they convicted him of telling the truth in Mark 14. But he held his peace and answered nothing. They're trying to put him, trying to make him accuse himself. Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. That's a quote out of the Old Testament. Then the high priest rent his clothes and said, What need we any further witness? Ye have heard the blasphemy. What think you? What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. And some began to spit on him and to, cover his, and to cover his face and to buffet him and to say unto him, prophesy, and the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. What did they convict him of? Well, they convicted him of blasphemy because he claimed to be God. <laughs> but he told the truth. And so <clears throat> we're thinking about what evidence that he would be God. Well, one of the evidence is that his entrance would be very unique. Another evidence that Jesus is God is that he's without sin, and we find that not only those who, Peter and James and John, Peter and John, not only those who knew him claimed he was without spot, with no sin, but even those who were ambivalent toward him uh, and uh, and um, those that are were the thieves. Okay. Thirdly, if Jesus was God, we'd expect the miraculous. Something miraculous on top of page five. 
Jesus performed numerous miracles. His healing went far beyond the charlatans of the day and even today. The healing miracles that Jesus performed uh, went beyond psychosomatic. He healed the ten lepers. The paralytic man let down through the roof. He made blind Bartimaeus see. And when Peter cut off the high priest's servant's ear, he made it whole again. He performed many miracles. And you can see there in John chapter 11, even, even his uh, enemies couldn't deny that he was doing the miracles. If you look uh, there uh, in the, the quote from John eleven forty five, 45, if you get down to uh, verse 47, then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, what do we, <laughs> what are we going to do with this guy? For this man doeth many miracles. And if we let him alone, all men will believe on him. Uh, and so they, they didn't deny him doing the miracles. And the, you see, uh, what you got to understand about these, these Jews that are getting together and talking uh, and trying, what are we going to do with him? He was... Jesus was disrupting the Jewish mafia. He went into the temple and kicked over the, the money change, the, the changing tables uh, and there's making merchandise of the house of God. And, uh, and he was a threat because there is power, esteem, and money in religion. And it's still the same today. One of the most, uh, one of the wealthiest institutions in the world today is the Catholic Church. And so what are they going to do? They knew he could do these miracles. And so what they did was uh, they said, well, yeah, he's performing miracles, but this is not God doing this. This is Satan doing this. Matthew 12, 25, 26, 24 through 26. Well, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. What's he saying? Well, if devils are casting out devils, they're working against themselves, and it doesn't make sense. And so he was without sin. He had a miraculous entry. He did supernatural things. And if God came to this world, we'd expect him to speak like none other. Jesus himself proclaimed on page 6, that his words would not pass away. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. 
Those who heard him speak were amazed. And he came down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. You see, uh, it went beyond man's writings. It was the word of God. And God was, uh, he was uh, expositorily teaching it. Man, wouldn't you love to have been there? The expository teaching of God himself. The soldiers who were sent to arrest him, they were not the Romans, but they were the Sanhedrin soldiers. They said, go, get down, go down there and get him. And they went down there, and they came back without him. And they said, What's, what happened? And they said, never a man spake like this man. Because he's more than a man. He was God in the flesh. We would expect, as a result of that, if God became to, came to earth, we'd expect it to have a universal ramifications. We don't have a verse here, but we'll just make the point. People from every kindred and nation and tongue have been affected by this man, Jesus. He was lifted up to die and draws all people, red, yellow, black, and white, to himself. Now, for nearly 2,000 years, the message of Christ is still powerfully affecting men. Jesus' influence has not gone away, and it will not go away. Our calendar year is based on his birth. Our country was founded on the principles he taught. Philip Schaft, a commentator, said, This Jesus of Nazareth, without money and arms, conquered more millions than Alexander, Caesar, Muhammad, and Napoleon, without science and learning. He shed more lights on things human and divine than all the philosophers and scholars combined without the eloquence of schools. He spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since and produced effects which, he, which lie beyond the reach of the orator or poet without writing a single line. He set more pens in motion and furnished themes for more sermons, orations, discussions, learned volumes, works of art, and songs of praise than this whole army of great men of ancient and modern times. And so it has a lasting influence. <clears throat> if God became a man, we would expect him to satisfy the spiritual hunger of man, that man's separation from God, that he would be the mediator between God and man. And uh, he uh, did that. He, he uh, 
Romans said that, that the love of God is shed abroad in our heart. Second Corinthians says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That barbarians, evil men, lawbreakers, despisers of that which is good, all have been saved and changed with a supernatural change. Satisfying. And I have to hurry because my time's running out. But the last point is that uh, if God became a man, we'd expect him to have control over death. And he said in John 10, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I laid down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And he gave it up, not as one committing suicide would take his life through drugs or gun or knife, but Jesus gave it up by saying to the Father, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. And when the soldiers came to break his legs, he was already dead. And so Jesus, we know that people can give their lives up through suicide or through jumping on a grenade to save his buddies in the foxhole. But when Jesus died on the cross, he simply bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And then on the third day, he rose again. And so, uh, just some, just some things to think about. Maybe we should, maybe I should, you know, fine tune this and put it in the track. Uh, maybe give it to your, give it to your friends. Uh, that may question who Jesus is, and particularly your friends who say, well, I think Jesus was a good man, but I sure don't think he was God, to show them this, this little chart at the front. It's something you can't say, because Jesus claimed to be God, and he's either God, and he either is Lord, or he's not Lord. And the issue lies do we really need a Savior? And if we really need a Savior, if man is really condemned to die, if our sin is really serious with God enough to where he's going to have to punish us for eternity because we've offended an eternal God, then we have to come to the conclusion that only God could save me from that. Only he could pay for that sin. And so this issue about well, I'm glad that you, you think Jesus is God, I don't, but he was a good person. It's a, it's a smoke screen of the biggest kind, which is, ends with the greatest loss that man could ever lose, and that's gonna be his soul in hell. All right? You're dismissed.